God loves to work for those who wait for him. So how do we wait for God? Does waiting for God mean that we don't act? And when do we stop waiting and start acting? Those are really important questions, and they were addressed in Pastor John's sermon on Isaiah 64, verses 1 to 4, in a sermon he preached way back in 1982. Here's what he said. In one sense, God works for everybody. He makes that sun rise on the just and the unjust. He sends rain on the good and the evil. He brings seed time and harvest even for his rebellious creatures. God does work for all his creatures, and all of this is meant to lead us to repentance. But in our text, the work referred to is not that common grace given to all, but a special grace that is given to those who have a certain disposition. No eye has seen a God besides thee who works for those who wait who wait for him. The work mentioned here clearly is not just the work of creation and preservation. It's not just the meeting of a few natural needs that he does for everybody. Rather, it's the investment of all God's infinite sovereign power to do everything his people need to have done for their good. And for whom does he do it? He does it for those who wait for him. So the biggest question for us right now is, what's that? How do you do that? And I want to try to show you from Isaiah how you wait for the Lord. The people to whom Isaiah is talking are in trouble. They're in danger from enemies, Assyrians once, and then Babylonians. Now, the danger that God sees is not so much the Assyrians and the Babylonians, but the temptation to run to Egypt for help instead of to God. Instead of waiting for God's help, he sees the temptation looming large that they're going to go after human help. And so he says in Isaiah 31.1, Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses who trust in chariots because they are many or in horsemen because they are very strong, but do not look to the Holy One of Israel or consult the Lord. So the first thing that waiting on God means is before you make one peep of an effort to solve your own problem or hire a human agency, pray, seek The counsel of God. What is his way to solve this problem and bring you out of trouble? It says in Psalm 106, 13, they soon forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel. The first act of waiting, therefore, is prayer. Before we make one little move to solve our problem. And I know if you're like me, you've come through many efforts. And an hour into it, you say, I forgot to pray. And we need to work to form the habit of stopping again and again and again. That's what Paul means, I think, when he says pray without ceasing before you do anything. At every little occasion of your life, every interview, every encounter, whisper a prayer. How would it go if I relied on you? What do you want me to do? And then 
Do what the Lord says. We are like patients. Prayer is like getting on the phone and calling up your doctor and saying, I'm in trouble. There's this pain. What should I do about it? Before you gulp down any medicine or start doing jumping jacks, call the doctor. Now, the doctor might tell you, lie down. Don't do anything. Or he might tell you, take the pill, do your exercises. Now, those two instructions from the Lord involve us in two different forms of waiting. We don't stop waiting once we've called. We wait. There is a waiting of two different sorts. Let's look at them just one at a time here. The first one is if the doctor says lie down. Isaiah 30 verse 15 goes like this. God says to the people, in returning and rest, you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. But you would not. You said, no, we will speed upon horses. And therefore you shall speed away. And you said, we will ride upon swift steeds. And therefore your pursuers shall be swift. In other words, God was saying on the phone, uh, just sit down and I'm going to work for you. Take it easy and rest and I'll be your strength. But they wouldn't do it. They wanted to maneuver their own victory for their own glory on horses and chariots. Sometimes we have to be willing on the phone to accept the frustrating news. Be still. We need to hear what Moses said to the people as they were about to cross the Red Sea. Fear not. Stand firm and behold. The salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be still. So the second thing that waiting for the Lord means is after you've prayed to the doctor and he says, be still, be still and rest. But there's a third way to wait for the Lord. And that is he might say, get up. Do your exercises and take your pill. Or to bring it back into the Old Testament context, he might say, go into battle and fight. Uh, In my family, we've been reading 2 Samuel for devotions in the morning. And uh, just a few days ago, we read 2 Samuel 5, 19. Now, the situation is that David has just taken over after Saul's death and the Philistines are besieging. And here's what he does. David inquired of the Lord. He waited. Shall I go up against the Philistines? Wilt thou give them into my hand? Wait. Answer. And the Lord said to David, Go up, for I shall surely give them into your hands. So the word to David was not lie still. The word to David was fight. He didn't take matters into his own hands. He waited. But now here is Here's the essence. Now get this carefully, because we're so prone to think that waiting means stillness. But as soon as we start acting, preparing a sermon, a lesson, going to work, preparing a report, staying up late, work, 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 we don't have to wait anymore. That's not the case because, and this changes all of life, there is a spirit of waiting 
in the midst of work. Proverbs 21.31 says this, The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. You see the implication of that for the warrior? It means that when the Lord says go, he doesn't stop waiting. He carries with him into battle a spirit of expectancy, a sense that, yes, I will fight with all my might, but I must wait on the one in whose hands alone is the victory. So that no matter how hard you work, there's a spirit of waiting, a spirit of expectancy, a spirit that out of and through all this activity is going to come lightning from heaven to do supernatural work. Here's the way the psalmist put it in Psalm 33:16. A king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a vain hope for victory, and by its great might it cannot save. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Yea, our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let thy steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us even as we hope in thee. If the Lord instructs us to take certain precautions, like locking the door at night, don't think that you can stop waiting on the Lord. For the psalm says, Psalm 127.1, unless the Lord watches over the city, those who stay awake, stay awake in vain. Even when we are watchmen doing our duty, we must be waiting for the Lord, for he alone brings safety. So the third form of waiting is even when the Lord says act, we act with a spirit of reliance on his work and we wait for the Lord in a spirit of expectancy that even though our labor is vulnerable and paltry, the final result of all we do lies in the hands of the Lord. And on that, we wait in all our work. So, in conclusion, those three things, let me sum them up again. When circumstances conspire to put you under pressure so that you feel something's got to be done, something's got to be done for safety or something's got to be done for service, wait for the Lord. That is, pray before you do anything else. Seek the Lord. Seek his counsel. What would he have you do, if anything? Second, if the Lord says, Sit down and put your feet up. If the Lord says, don't go to church tonight to be at the council meeting, stay home and pray. I will work better than your arguments. Stay home. And if the Lord says, go and argue with all your might, don't become self-reliant, but go. And let me stress in regard to that second point that I don't mean laziness. Or the shirking of duty. I mean the very frustrating experience that sometimes when you're most prepared, when you think most relies on you and your zeal is fired, the Lord may say to you, you just stay home tonight and watch me work. And you're so frustrated because you had it all planned. But he wants to work for you so that he gets the glory and not us.
So, whether we lie still and sit or whether we work, let us have this in common, that we wait for the Lord, that we have a spirit of expectancy that no matter how paltry our labors are, the final issue is in the hands of the Lord and he loves to work for those who wait for him. So good. That clip was taken from John Piper's sermon on September 5th, 1982. God works for those who wait for him. You can find the whole message at DesiringGod.org. And if you have a favorite sermon clip of Pastor John in a recent or an old message, send it to me. Email me, tell me what sermon, and mention the timestamps in the audio of when the clip begins and ends. And then email it to me at AskPastorJohn at DesiringGod.org. That's AskPastorJohn at DesiringGod.org. And put the, uh, put the word clip in the subject line if you wouldn't mind. I'm always interested to hear your favorite clips. Uh, I'd love to listen to what blesses you. And maybe we can share it here on the podcast. I'm Tony Ranke. Pastor John is back with us in studio on Friday to talk about whether or not you can be a good Christian hedonist if you battle seasons of depression. It's an important conversation coming up on Friday. We'll see you then.